Madrid! The tentacle got fry! Quick, hand me my machete! We can still save his legs! Silence! I have traveled far and seen deep, and I have come to know the purpose of our existence! Finally! Thou shalt love the tentacle! Well, at least we don't have to love one another. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is episode 13 of season 4. Or chapter 2 of book 6. Darkness on the Edge of Town. Ooh. That's a cool title. I like that title. Yeah. And I like it because there's two different interpretations of the darkness on the edge of town. Mm, Yeah. I mean... Normally we would jokingly save this for the end, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it's the episode. So there's the darkness, there's the obvious darkness in the edge of town, our three villains trying to get into Storybrooke. But also at the end of the episode, it's it's Charming and Snow confronting Ursula and Cruella on the edge of town. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to say we find out when they're on the edge of the town that Emma's got darkness in her and that's what... So three possible interpretations of the darkness on the edge of town. Yeah. Well done, title maker. Yeah. All right. It sounds cool, which not always a thing. Snow falls. Ugh. All right, let's get into it. On the downside, Mary Margaret and David actually have a plot this season. And it's a terrible plot. It's a terrible story plot. And also they are plotting things that are terrible. Yeah. You know what this is? We finally got to Baby Death Pit. Yes, it is exciting to be up to the Baby Death Pit. I was actually going to say that I don't know if I can really hate this plot with David and Mary Margaret because it's also the thing that gives our hatred of them fuel. Mm. So, like, can I really hate it? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Let's uh, Let's do this thing. All right. Previously on Once Upon a Time... Rumpel sucked a whole bunch of fairies into a hat so he could try to sever himself from the magic dagger that controls him, but his wife got the magic dagger, used it to force him out of town into the place where he has no powers and also not full use of his legs. Meanwhile, in the past, at some point he was working with Ursula, Cruella de Vil, and Maleficent to try to get something in order to... Do something. Do something. After getting kicked out of town by his wife... He goes to New York, where Ursula happens to be working at an aquarium and starts leeching off her. Because apparently it's just super easy to cross into the world without magic. Ursula and Cruella both did it. Oh, and both also haven't been aging for like 30 years-ish at this point. I don't even know. But you know what? I also don't even care because I love this plot line so much. I love this trio of villains so much. But as much as I love this trio of villains, being Ursula, Maleficent, and Cruella, let's be clear that this is the Cruella season. Yes. Like, we are all about Cruella DeVille this season. She's great. This was the episode where I was like, all right, I have to break down and make Cruella DeVille cosplay because... This character is so much better than she has any right to be. Yeah, that is, that's 100% accurate. So this episode's really weird because when it opens, it opens in a flashback, but it also gives us a, a title card telling us where we are, which... I don't feel like they do a lot. Usually they just expect us to keep up. Well, when they do it, it always raises more questions than it answers. Like when Emma was in Milwaukee in the past at some point with the Snow Queen. It's like, why Milwaukee? They both ended up in Boston. Yeah, just many years ago. It's all you need. You don't need the Forbidden Fortress, which is apparently what Maleficent's house is called. But then that raises the question, why are you telling us it's the Forbidden Fortress? If Maleficent is going to tell us it's her castle and like, like a couple of lines into the scene. And is that different from the Enchanted Forest? It's not, right? She's in the same realm as the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, it's just the name of her house. Why does Maleficent's house earn a title card? You know, you'd think being cold-blooded, she wouldn't want to live in a cold place. I mean, she's a dragon, not a lizard. Oh, she does have the internal combustion thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, I think she goes by D&D dragon rules. So I think she's 
good in the cold. But that's a guess, not based on anything we're shown. Also, something new for her is that she has a guard in her castle. Right. Before we saw Regina visiting her, she was alone. And that was kind of a defining feature of her. Yeah, and it will be a defining feature of her later in the show, too. Yeah, and also in a few seconds, because her valet, as she calls him, is, like, immediately killed by Ursula. One of Ursula's two CG tentacles whips the guy out of the way. I hate that she only has two tentacles. I really do. Like, I get if you only want to animate two of them because CGI is expensive, I guess, but she should have eight. Like, can't six of them just kind of writhe around on the ground? Even if only two of them are going to reach out and grab things. Uh, it's real expensive for this show. Anyway. But Maleficent is super pissed that Ursula tentacled her valet. And she expresses this. This is why having Pam be Maleficent was great, Pam from True Blood. Yes. Because she can deliver lines like, That was my valet you just knocked out. Or strangled. Or tried or tried to impregnate. I'm not sure what those tentacles of yours are for. And I'm like, wow. That's amazing. That's a little uh, racy for ABC, isn't it? A tentacle porn joke? I mean, this is, in theory, a family-friendly show, right? That's funny because I was just thinking that she's doing our job for us. Ursula also declares that she should be referred to as Your Majesty, which made sense when I first watched this because... As all of our listeners are aware, Ursula is in fact King Triton's sister. She was wrongfully deposed. That's why she's so pissed off in the movie. Um, but I'm trying to remember her plot in this series. That's not her plot in this series. She is still royalty, though. Right. Although, Queen still doesn't seem like it would be the title for her. I mean, she's either a demigoddess or a princess. Well, I mean, she's a demigoddess because she's Triton's daughter, but she's not the same Ursula as Ursula the Sea Goddess. Mm. She's just named for Ursula the Sea Goddess, who we previously saw being played by Shirley from Community. That's besides the point, though, because the two of them having their tentacle fight is interrupted by dogs. Dogs that are controlled by Cruella de Vil. Yes, yes, Cruella de Vil controls the dogs with green smoke that she breathes out of her mouth. Now, when we were first watching this originally, we made the same jokes everyone else made. Oh, she's got dog-controlling breath, she's got bad breath. But you pointed something out, which I didn't think of. Yeah, the green smoke that she breathes out is very similar to the animation in the original 101 Dalmatians. The green smoke that Cruella breathes out because she's constantly smoking, is the same as the green stuff that she breathes out here. But they couldn't give her a cigarette because it's ABC. Right. I was about to say, that would have worked so much better. Like, I would have got the reference so much better if she had the cigarette holder and she was doing... But they can't They can't show people smoking because it's right. so an they, ABC show. Yeah, she can breathe out green dog-controlling smoke, but it can't seem to have been coming from a cigarette. Like... You can rip out people's hearts, but you can't smoke. A friend of ours uh, actually sent me a list of the standards and practices things for the old X-Men cartoon. Oh, yeah? And uh, one of the things was that they had to stop having the X-Men throw, as they phrased it, death parties, or (laughs) in the common tongue, funerals. Oh, Oh, a death party is a funeral. Yeah. I thought a death party was when the X-Men have, like, slumber parties and everyone inevitably gets killed. No, no, no. Are standard and practice departments just completely filled with trolls? I was thinking they're filled with aliens. All right, let's, uh, let's go back to this show. Anyway, uh, Krill's like, I know that you're incredibly powerful sorceresses that have magical tentacles and stuff, but I have dogs, and don't worry, I'm calling my dogs off. Yes, I know that you turn into a dragon and you are some sort of sea demigoddess octopus thing, but I control animals with my breath. I love her so much because she's not on their level at all. But in another sense, they are not on her level at all. I just love how all of them treat her like she's the cipher of their group. Okay, cipher is a super powerful X-Man. Yeah, 
as is Cruella if she used her powers. Maleficent is a dragon. Can Cruella control Maleficent? Can Cruella control Ursula? Okay. Ursula's an octopus thing. Okay, the Maleficent thing will actually come up later this season. I think I might have a vague memory of that. Yeah. But, however, this three-way standoff gets interrupted by Robert Carlyle in full villain mode. Yes, he is, like, picking scenery out of his teeth. Yes, it, it turns out that he has summoned Ursula and Cruella here so that they can have a... Well, what he would call... Tet-a-tet. a tet-a-tet. A tet-a-tet. A tet. Yes. We've talked before about how Once Upon a Time seasons tend to live or die by their villains. So this time they weren't taking any chances. They just packed it to the brim filled with wonderful villains. And it's great. It's like, good. They, that was li- the right thing to do. Yeah. Too much is just the right amount. So the opening image is... Uh, Corella's car driving through the woods, driving into the woods. Now, I know nothing about cars, but I was under the assumption that her car was some important, significant make of car, like an Aston Martin or something. So I Wikipedia'd it, and while it is a distinctive-looking car, it's not actually based on a real model of car. Uh. Yeah. Now, the one they used in the live-action movie, mm-hmm. it's called a Panther DeVille. Uh, and was actually made in the 70s to appeal to the kind of person who wanted a car like Cruella DeVille had in the Disney movie. So, you know, full circle, I guess? Life imitates art, imitates life. (laughs) Anyway, back in the present, it's six weeks later. I mean, we jumped to six weeks later at the end of the last episode, but here we are. For six weeks, nothing has happened, which is a long time in Storybook for nothing to happen. I think that's why everyone's getting so antsy. Yeah. This is one of those things they have to do between seasons because Henry is very obviously getting older. Oh, I, yes, I think definitely. it should have been like a month, maybe another year leap. Oh, wow. Or six months, maybe. Six weeks feels like too small of a time frame. They got a lot of stuff done, but it's only been like a month and a half. Yeah, later on in this episode when Regina gets upset that she hasn't been able to find the author in six weeks, I'm like... Girl, calm down. It's only been six weeks. But then again, the last, like, year or so of her life was pretty full of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we have an About Town montage so that we can see everyone's life getting back to normal. Regina drops off Henry at the bus stop. I guess he's living with her. Yeah, I think he's living with Regina now, which makes sense. Emma's still living in one room with her parents and their infant child. Anyway, we see Mary Margaret teaching and we see... She's back in bird molesting class. Actually, this is advanced bird molesting. Ornithology? Before it was like... They were building birdhouses or bird feeders or something. Yeah, they were building birdhouses. We also see Regina back in the mayor's office, like, taking over. She's mayor again, I guess. They just decided she's mayor again. Yeah, Snow got sick of being mayor, so Regina's back in charge. I mean, thank God, finally someone who knows what she's doing is in charge. Speaking of knowing what she's doing... Yes, she does use a fireball to take down... Snow's terrible hotel art of birds that she had put up in the Marrow Mansion, which... It's so extra, but I love it. She's like, oh, there's a sign that Mary Margaret used to be here. Floom! Like, she doesn't even take it down or get rid of it. She burns it up. Mary Margaret might have wanted that horrible hotel art picture of birds. You know what this reminds me of more than anything else, which it shouldn't, because... What's that? It reminds me of the opening scene from Once More with Feeling. Oh, it really, yeah, it it does have a every single day the same arrangement feel. Yeah. Yeah. Just the montage at the beginning where Buffy wakes up and you just see her doing everything at each point in her day. You see, you know, Emma leaves the apartment. Before she leaves the apartment, we see her digging through the closet for which leather jacket she's going to wear today. And she also digs out the sheriff's badge, which makes me think, has she not been sheriffing for six weeks? Maybe uh, the police are just an unnecessary institution when there's not magical uh, who's-its going around. Oh, maybe. Okay, so she drops Hook off with Belle in the library. I guess Belle's forgiven him? Yeah. It's weird because I keep saying that the only really evil, unforgivable thing that Hook has done up to this point in the show that that we've seen, Hmm. he'll do some evil things in flashbacks, but... 
up to this point in the show, the only evil thing we've seen him do is the stuff he does to Belle. And Belle, like, has no problem with him. Is she just a super forgiving person? Because she also seems to have very little problem with Regina. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate character trait of hers. She just kind of rolls over and lets people do whatever. I don't know. Or maybe she's so evil that she doesn't have problems with evil people. Because her high heels are. Those high heels came from out of Lacey's closet. Those are not high heels that you want to work in all day. I think when we were watching this, I said she looks like a librarian from a porno. You did, and that's accurate. But Hook's got a corkboard with a whole uh, Pepe de Silvia thing on it. Yes, he's got his string theory up there. Which seems unnecessary because they know everything that happened. It's got a picture of Blue on it and a picture of the hat. And Well, he's trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out how to get the fairies out of the hat. Bell's found a book that might have a passage that could unlock a spell that can do that, but she needs to get it translated by some of the finest minds on Earth. Why would it be an Earth language? Oh, that was your problem? My problem is people can't see Storybrook or find Storybrook or walk to Storybrook, but apparently they have internet and the internet can reach outside of Storybrook. This this really bugs me. Look, either Storybrook is cut off from the rest of the world or it's not. They shouldn't be able to get emails and phone calls from the outside world in Storybrook. It shouldn't go back and forth. I'm so upset. I mean, you feel free to be mad about that, but that has been a canon thing since season one. Remember, Henry found Emma through whosyourmommy.com. Yes, but that's because... Okay, but for two re- two things. One... In the first season, Henry was not limited by the curse, so he was able to go back and forth in and out of Storybrook. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that he could use the internet in that manner. And also, it was prophesied that he would find Emma, so it was built into the curse that he would be able to use the internet to find Emma. It was not built into the curse that they would be able to, like, just call their friends and say hi. It doesn't make sense that this has been a consistent thing, but it has been a consistent thing, so I'm not going to hold it against them. My big issue is, why would a magic language be something someone else could help translate? Which does get explained later in the episode. But but maybe Belle should be a little more suspicious? Yes, that someone from Oxford has been helping her translate this mysterious book she just happened to have in the library, because that's the sort of library this is. So I'm just laughing to myself right now, because... I just realized that Oxford, like this man from Oxford, is just a thing that Americans throw into stories if they have to explain some esoteric piece of knowledge. It's like, oh, he's from Oxford. You know, it's foreign, but not scary foreign, stuffy intellectual foreign. Exactly. Hook freaks out and flips over his conspiracy board and Bell's like, Jesus, calm your tits bro and he's just like i'm so upset that i was fooled by rumble and then he made me do such evil things and bill's like eh, whatever that's rumple what are you gonna do yeah she's playing this really low key and actually then- what she says which i thought was kind of cool is that he was able to control hook because he had his heart and he had both their hearts and hook has this weird thing where he's like he did actually love you you know and Bell's like, that's not super relevant to what we were talking Like, come on, we're, we're both hating on him. Yeah, it's not a helpful thing to say to someone who's escaped an abusive relationship. Just tossing that out there. Especially because I loved you so much and that's why I was forced to do these terrible things is usually the way abuse is framed. So, you know. Although in this don't. show... Although in this show it's less frame like that and more, I would have done so much worse stuff if it wasn't for your interference, which is basically the same thing, but from a different angle. Yeah. You stop me from being a worse person. And and to be fair, in this show it's framed with Belle where he didn't love her enough to choose her over power. I mean, that's that was the whole crux of last week's episode, where she used the gauntlet to find the dagger because he cared about the dagger more than he cared about her. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. I'm still honestly kind of surprised she was shocked about that. I thought part of the foundation of their relationship was her accepting that he didn't love her to the degree that she loved him. Yeah, that's a good point. I just think it's weird that Hook is bringing out the, oh, he really did love you thing, because... 
that's a thing that people do say to abuse victims, but it's not the way this story's been framed. So it's like, it was just thrown in there to be bad. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, anyway. Especially from Hook. Right? Oh, poor Belle. Anyway, now we're in New York City. Yep, we're in New York City in what is supposed to be a not great apartment, but honestly would probably cost you several million dollars to live in. Like... It's it's not all that small. It's full of fish tanks. They're eels because, you know, Ursula. Yes. Anyway, Rumpel's in Ursula's apartment in New York City. Eating her food. Yeah, eating her food, living under her roof, complaining about the conditions, and not really bringing anything to the table in this scenario except for promises we really see what a con man Rumpel is in this scenario. He doesn't even close the microwave door after nuking Ursula's noodles, which he's eating in front of her. Yeah, her cup of noodles. Although, in fairness to Rumpel, he does then get an email that does involve all of the manipulating he's been doing here in the real world that will lead to them getting their happy endings. But before they can get their happy ending, they have to stop and pick up Cruella DeVille. Okay, so she's in Long Island in a McMansion. Yes. A McMansion that is being raided by... Well, their jackets say FBI, but I assume this is an SEC thing, because... Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, this is a guy who did something hinky financially, and all of his stuff is being taken by the government. Uh, we see Cruella DeVille in full Cruella DeVille outfit. Like... This is a world where 101 Dalmatians is a Disney movie. It's several Disney movies. The live-action remake had come out by this point. And she's actually going by the name Cruella. And like, she's got the half-black, half-white hair. Does nobody ask her any questions? You know what this reminds me of? What? Bridget Jones's Diary. In what way? Okay, so there's a scene in Bridget Jones's Diary, the book, not the movie. Where Bridget is at a party and Mark Darcy is off to the side being all sulky and aloof. And she says, you know, there should actually be a rule that if your name is Darcy, you can't stand in the corner at a party and be aloof because it's just too much. Well, there's a Superman book. I think it was Secret Identity. I'm not sure. It was an Elseworlds story where there actually is a guy named Clark Kent from Smallville, Kansas. And he, although, although he points out it wasn't really, the town wasn't really called Smallville, it was just a small town in Kansas. Yeah. But, like, don't lean into stuff like that. Or do. Whatever. It's up to you. If our last name was Kent, you better believe our kids would be named Clark and Connor. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's literally zero way it would turn out any differently. So, Corella DeVille grabs a fur off the rack and the... Because she loves fur, darling. It's the only thing she loves. And the FBI guy tries to take it and she's like, nope, I brought this into the marriage. This is mine. I guess he figures it's not, you know, worth the trouble because he's like, eh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they're taking a lot of stuff out of this mansion. It's It really is not worth the trouble. And Rumpel yells from the background. He's like, Corella DeVille. And she turns around and she's like, that's not what I go by in this world. And all of the FBI people seem to just ignore this because... You know, they've probably been surveilling Cruella for a while. Um, they've probably seen weirder. Yeah. And Rumpel says, well, Cruella Feinberg doesn't quite have the same ring. And I'm like, that's... If not actually anti-Semitic, at least anti-Semitic adjacent... We're going to get our first canonically Jewish character in Once Upon a Time, and he's going to be a villain, so... It's not great. It's not great. I mean, it's not Ferengi bad, but it's not good. Yeah. Anyway. It turns out that when the FBI is repossessing all of your stuff, you do get to keep things that are iconically associated with your character. Right, so the fur coat and also that amazing car. The Cruella Mobile. This car actually ends up being in the show for a fairly long time. That's because it's an amazing car. I guess if they went through all of the, uh, all of the trouble to make the uh, car specially for this, they're, they're, they're not going to get rid of that. Yeah, they're going to use the car. Now... 
I just have to say, Cruella's fur is black, and that really, I, that made me unhappy. It should be white. Mm. I mean, her fur in the flashback is white. It's got white on the sleeves, but... Yeah, it should be all white. Well, I think they're going for a... I'm sorry to keep doing comics references. I think they're going for a 90s Superboy thing. It's the streetwear version of what Cruella would have. Her license plate says DeVille. Which cannot be street legal. It doesn't even have a state on it. Yeah, that's true. I I was more concerned that that's also what her license plate is in the movie. And, you know, we're back to... Does nobody recognize that this is Cruella DeVille? Yeah, you think that would uh, raise questions. So back in the flashback in Fairytale Land, Rumpel's like, I found a way to give villains happy endings. And and the three queens are like, this is, go- this is going kind of meta for us. I was thinking about that. Okay, in season one and two and three, Regina wasn't really super aware that she was a villain when she was doing stuff. I mean, to an extent she was, but a lot of what we saw was based on understanding what her motivations were and why she would behave the way she behaved. But now all of a sudden it's like, there are heroes and there are villains and heroes do good because they're heroes and villains do bad because they're villains and heroes are happy because they're heroes and villains are sad because they're villains. Let's do bad things, but be happy about it. And it's like, that's not how motivation works. You know what happened? What? Disney died and the new author is terrible at his job. The new author is legitimately terrible at his job, as we will see later. Yeah, I'm not going to spoiler this. It's too vague. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This I will spoiler, though. And I just get so mad, and I think about, and you know what it would look like? It would look like Once Upon a Time, because Regina is absolutely the hero of Once Upon a Time. So, Rumpel is getting these three women to work with him. So he can go on a Mission Impossible-style caper in order to get the ingredients to give villains their happy endings. Oh, it's so funny. I was thinking of this more like Leverage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where he's running a team of thieves. Sometimes bad guys make the best good guys. You know, I think I've heard that. Yeah. But he's going to get the ingredients to get the Dark Curse, which... Is that what that was? Well, that's what he says. But the gist of it is he needs... Wait, no, no, seriously, hold up. Okay. I, like, totally lost track of what was going on in the flashback. Because in the flashback, he talks about how he wants them to get their happy ending. And in the present, he's talking about them wanting to get their happy ending. And in the present, his plan is to get the author and force the author to give them a happy ending. And in the flashback, I just really didn't know what his plan is. But now that you say that, oh, his plan was to cast the Dark Curse and come over to our world and find Neil and live happily ever after. Oops. Yeah, that didn't so much work out for you. It did not. All right. So back in the real world, they're in Corella's car and... Rumpel's filled in the two of them about, you know, the author. He's the one who writes reality. And uh, all that's why reality makes so little sense. (sighs) Yeah. And he says, that's why our plans never work out. It's not because we're not smart enough or powerful enough. It's because there's a godlike force actively working against us. Corella is like, oh, so it's not just bad judgment and gin. She's great. Although. To jump ahead a little bit here, Cruella knows about the author, doesn't she? Uh, she should. Anyway, turns out they're at a drive-thru. Yeah, they're at a drive-thru. This is a Lost reference, right? Yeah, it's Mr. Clucks, which is where Hurley worked. So, Rumpel is fairly certain that the author's in Storybrooke. He is being a very rude person at a drive-thru right now. You mean because he's talking to them when they're trying to order? Yes. Eh. Eh. He didn't want to go through the drive-thru. He was at the whims of Cruella, who is presumably the only one of the three of them who knows how to drive. That's right, Ursula lives in New York. Okay, so back in Storybrooke, Regina's in her office looking at the storybook for clues or whatever. Yeah, about the author. 
when okay so i'm assuming they spent the entire mid-season break reading fan fiction because emma and regina are so fucking domestic here it's so adorable oh my god yes okay so emma shows up and she has brought regina a kale salad because she knows regina doesn't want grilled cheese from grannies and regina teases her for having the palate of a child and Emma brought them both root beer so they could sit and eat their food and have a lunch together. It's it's a seri- it's such a domestic scene and it's so cute. Then she realizes the bottles aren't twist off, so she can't open them. It's so cute. And she's like, "Can you get them off?" And Regina's like, "I'm a queen. I'm too refined to take them off with my teeth." I was thinking magic myself. But... I know, right? Why didn't either of them just use magic? Well, I mean, I know why because then the scene couldn't happen. Emma's digging around because she knows that. When her mom was mayor, she had a bottle opener in here, which... Is Mary Margaret a secret drunk? I wouldn't have thought... I would think she's too uptight for that sort of thing. I don't know. So, while looking for the bottle opener, which is actually in that drawer... (laughs) Nice! Good job, Emma! Yeah. She finds that picture of Regina making out with Robin that he found. You know, the deleted scene from the storybook... That Robin found and he gave that, to Regina. Which, according to him, proves that Regina gets to make her own choices. She chose to not be with Robin that night, but she could have chosen otherwise. Although I don't see how it shows that. I mean, if anything, it shows that she doesn't have choices because that's the discarded deleted page. And the page that's in the book is the thing that actually happened. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't obviously show one or the other, but I think that's my point. It could just as easily mean one or the other. And in fact, Regina has decided it means the other. Regina has decided it's just there to taunt her. Well, Emma apparently didn't know about this. She asks about it. She asks about Robin. She's like, have you heard from Robin? And Regina says no. Which, I mean, let's face it. Robin Hood probably got murdered his first day in New York. Robin and Marion were not part of the original curse. Yeah, they don't have curse memories. They have no modern day memories. Oh man, they are so dead. Oh, man. Oh, well. Anyway, speaking of characters that we're not really that concerned about, Hook comes running in and is like, hey, we found a way to save the fairies. Yep, they got the spell translated from somebody. Yeah, the professor in Oxford. Mm. Emma's, like, ready to declare today free uh, the fairies day, your majesty. And And she hands Regina the root beer, and Regina's got this, like, ugh. It's super cute. But they go out into the woods, set up some candles. Regina has Rumpel's dagger, which she uses to pull the fairies out of the hat. It it takes a bit, but the fairies come out of the hat as well as something else. Ooh, something else. Yeah, they're all too distracted by the CGI to notice the other thing. Blue, by the way, is such a bitch. She, like, gives Regina the dirtiest look. Like, if I had to be freed, why did it have to be by someone so evil? Yeah, all of the fairies fall out of the hat, and Blue's, you know, looking around, catching her breath, and she sees Regina and just gives her the death glare. It's like, do you want to go back in the hat, bitch? Yeah. Blue's just bitter that she doesn't get to be Belle in this story. Belle? Yeah, because that actress plays Belle in The Descendants. In The Descendants, right. But she does whisper thank Regina while avoiding eye contact with her before walking off in some random direction. Maybe she's afraid that if she makes eye contact with Regina, Regina will see into her soul and know that she's super evil. So, while everyone's busy hugging, Venom pops out of the, uh... Yeah, like an evil dark smoke comes out of the hat. Actually super similar to how after Emma returned from the past, we saw the blue liquid coming out after her. Right. Basically, the lesson of Once Upon a Time is don't open any portals to anything because something will always follow you. Mm. Mm. And honestly, that's not a bad lesson. Yeah. So, back in the Enchanted Forest, apparently Bald Mountain is a place in the Enchanted Forest, so... Sure, why not? Much like in Harry Potter, the treasure is guarded by a series of challenges that require certain skills to overpass... Which is actually really uh, good, concise storytelling, because we can see what everyone's powers are. Yeah. So, the first challenge is a whole bunch of flesh-eating, mummy-esque type beetles, which uh, Corella just whispers at, and they all get the hell out of her way. Because she has animal control? Yes. 
Uh, the next one is a Khaleesi-esque challenge. Yes, there's a thing that they need to get that's beyond a wall of fire, and Maleficent being part dragon is unburnt, so she can, like, suck the fire into her staff. Again, this all seems like uh, things... Well, we'll see why Rumpel actually brought these three women with him. Mm-hmm. Because you might be wondering, hey, why can't Rumpel just do all of these things by himself? But he doesn't. He ha- he steps back and lets all of the ladies handle the individual challenges themselves. Rumpel's happy to stand back and let the ladies do the heavy lifting. Now, Ursula's probably got the weakest out of the uh, three challenges. Yeah, she's definitely the Aquaman of the group. By which I mean she has super awesome aquatic-based powers, and he took this group out of water and is like, I I don't know, use your tentacles, I guess? Because Corella got to control the beetles out of their way, Maleficent got to uh, walk through the fire without getting burned, and uh, Ursula's thing is reaching with her tentacles and grabbing a glass ball that's slightly further down the room. I'm just saying... The next thing should have been a water-based thing so that we could have seen her actually use her powers. Yeah, I feel like their budget was running kind of low at this point. Her tentacles look super cheap, it's true. It's actually weird because sometimes the Chernabog, the evil demon-y thing we'll see in a minute, looks good, and in some shots it looks really bad, and Ursula's tentacles pretty much look bad in every shot. I think maybe this episode was just a little out of their abilities. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it turns out that the secret last challenge is a evil minotaur devil bat-winged demon. Well, it's Chernabog from Fantasia. Oh. I didn't realize that was from Fantasia. Yeah, he's the demon from the night on Bald Mountain. That, that's why they're in Bald Mountain. Oh my god, okay. Oh, we're still in the fucking hat! Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so the Chernabog has emerged, and it turns out the real thing Rumpel needed from these three women was for them to be cannon fodder. Well, he, he skadoodles out of there so he can make his getaway while the Chernabog is busy devouring them. It goes, it has this very unique quirk where it goes after the person with the highest capacity for evil. Yes, the highest potential evil. Which is such an interesting weasel way of putting it, right? Mm. Well... What does that even mean, Max? That made me wonder, is this inherently an evil creature? Or is it like the Furies? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it seems bad because it's going after characters we're ostensibly rooting for. But theoretically... Yeah, a thing that hones in on and destroys the most evil thing in the room is not by definition an evil thing. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Good point. But also, I mean, doesn't like a baby have the most potential for evil? Yeah. Yeah. Because it hasn't been socialized in any way yet? Oh yeah, like a baby would straight up murder you if it had the ability to. So we we go back to the present Rumpel was smart. Turns out right after he left town, he left a necktie tied on a tree. Yep, so that he would know where the entrance to Storybrooke was. I'm just, I think he's just lucky that nobody moved that in six weeks. I guess not many people come this way. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, yeah, he left the tie so that he could take everyone back to the town. And he tells Ursula and Cruella that the secret to their happy ending is inside this town, but... Um, actually, it turns out that he's been banished from the town, and they can't get to the town, and there's, there's, uh, no way to see the town or enter the town, and the ladies are not having it. Corella whips out a gun, and she's like, okay, it looks like it's time to bust a cap in your ass. Cruella has a ruby-encrusted gun, by the way. I guess that's something else you get to keep when the FBI raids your house? Your guns? Huh. Anyway... And Rumpel goes on his knees and he's like, please don't shoot me. I have a plan to get us in. You just need to trust me a little bit longer. And they're like, oh my god, you're so pathetic when you don't have power. And he explains to them that his plan will get the two of them in. And then it'll get him in. Right. Yeah. They'll go in without him. And once they're in, they can decide what to do there. But they'll have seen that he has the ability to do what he promises by him getting them in. 
I really like Emma's shirt in the next scene. We cut to Emma talking to Hook. And her shirt's got this kind of... It's color blocked. It's got... The top is gray and the bottom is blue. I really do like two-tone. Yeah, it's nice. And it's just Emma working out emotional stuff with Hook. We know they're legitimately dating now. We saw that during the opening montage. And Hook's like, oh, I feel evil because I did all these bad things. And Emma's like, yeah, you literally aren't in trouble for stuff you do while someone else is controlling your heart, it turns out. So they're at Granny's, and Granny's throwing a the fairies aren't trapped in a hat anymore party. Yeah, sure. Like you do. I didn't mention this earlier, but in the opening montage, we saw uh, Emma leaving baby Neil with Granny. Granny runs her own business. Well, why was she babysitting? Also, why did Emma have Neil? I have no answers to any of your questions. Her parents are terrible, so they probably ran off and had sex while leaving her alone with the baby, even though she had to go to work. Mm. That's probably what happened. So, I just want to point out, uh, they, nobody's talking to Blue. Blue's the, you know, Blue's sitting alone in the corner because she's that person. Blue's being the Mr. Darcy at this party. Mm. She is sulking alone in the corner. And she is filled with prejudice. So they go over to ask her questions because they remembered that she fills in plot holes every season. Right. I mean, she may as well, since she's the most powerful person in town, she may as well at the very least give them the plot hook since she's not going to actually help them solve anything. So she tells them that the sorcerer and the author are actually two separate people. So it's weird that the author's stuff was in the sorcerer's mansion. Also, the author is super powerful, he does exist, and she doesn't know who he is, so she can't give them any more information than that. She does mention that she doesn't know if the author's a he, but come on, it's Once Upon a Time. Ugh. Actually, Once Upon a Time is pretty good about gender. Not so much about race, but it is good about gender. The author could have been a she, although not as poorly written as all of this is. Mm. I don't mean Once Upon a Time when I say poorly written, I mean the stuff that we see the author doing. He is not a good writer. No. So, Blue says, Well, I don't know where the author is, but I do know that he left clues in his writing that will lead you to him. And I'm What like, is this, Ready Player One? Well, <sighs> that is a very timely burn. Three hidden keys. Anyway. So, I feel like her knowing that just leads to more questions. A few episodes ago, I mentioned when they went into the library and discovered the page, how that really felt like a frustrated dungeon master who had laid out all of these clues as to where they were supposed to find the next item. And instead they were like, let's go to the library. And then the dungeon master was like, okay, so you look down and you see a page because she was just super tired of trying to lead them to where the next clue was. So she just made it appear. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's what blue is, you know, it's like. Oh my god, they can't follow my fucking clues. I'm just gonna have Blue show up and download it to them. And then she gets sick of doing that, so she, like, gets rid of Blue, like there's no more Blue. And then, instead of following the plot to the author, they spend, like, the next three sessions trying to get Blue back. And she's like, God, for fuck's sake! And she brings Blue back to lead them back to the author. And Blue's answer is, follow the clues that the Dungeon Master has already laid out for you. This really is a role-playing adventure where the players are just not following the Dungeon Master's clues. Well, this little interview with Blue is interrupted when the Chernobog shows up and it lands on the clock tower and it's... Yeah, they hear it from inside the diner and Regina says, let's go see what's lowering our property values now. Because <sighs> she's amazing. Anyway, they see the Chernobog on top of the library slash clock tower and then we can take that image to flashback to the flashback where the Chernobog is honing in on the witch with the evilest potential. Yeah, Maleficent is carrying this party, let's be clear, because she's, like, shooting purple energy at it while Ursula and uh, Corella are just kind of backing up behind rocks. And then Maleficent explains the prisoner's dilemma to them. Well, she wants them to all split up and run off in different directions. It'll only go after one of them, and then the two of them that get away can help the one that it's attacking. Right. The prisoner's dilemma. They can escape and be scot-free, or they can all stay and fight and all die, or they can trust that the two will save the one who it goes after. It's actually classic prisoner's dilemma. And of course, it goes after the most iconic Disney character. 
Maleficent. You know, Maleficent is a pretty iconic Disney villain, it's true, but let's not discount Cruella. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking in terms of merch and getting their own movies. Well, I mean, they just did the Maleficent movie, but the next one they're going to do is a Cruella de Vil movie. Well, further down the pipeline. Well, yeah, okay. But, I mean, the next evil villain who gets a movie of their own is going to be Cruella de Vil. Anyway, Chernabog is here, and he's flying around town all crazy. Like, this would have been much better to do at night, because... Then we wouldn't have seen how bad the CGI is. Yeah. Anyway, the Chernabog is circling the town, presumably looking for the most evil person in this town. A town in which he has many, many to choose from. I mean, don't forget, Blue's back now. Oh, yeah, jeez. Blue better stay inside. I like how the spell was specifically to release fairies, and it gets mentioned, I think by Snow, actually. Maybe it's some kind of fairy, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they're dark fairies. I mean, we're going to a costume party next weekend where we're dressing as red caps, who yeah. are e- who are evil fairies from Changeling the Dreaming. Yeah, so evil fairies. Mm-hmm. But Emma is also like, well, let's just get the hat and put it back in the hat. And they tell her, yeah, it turns out you can only be put in the hat once. And even Emma can't believe how stupid that is. She's like, are you telling me the magic hat follows chickenpox rules? And everyone's just like, yeah. So now that we're in season four, we're getting really heavily into, okay, Emma and Regina have realized that they should just logically be able to combine their magic and take anything out. So that needs to stop working now. Because really, if they had done that at any point in season two or three, they would have taken out the big bad. Not so much now. Yeah, which is a shame because I just really want their powers combined to be super powerful. And they are, it's just the turning box even more powerful. Yeah, in all fairness, they do manage to drive it off, but they don't destroy it. They just push it back. Also, they do this in front of a butcher's called The Chop Shop. That is some good place level punnage. Oh. I appreciate you once upon a time. That's that's actually worse than Meat Cute from iZombie. So Regina and Emma are going to have to put a brief pause on trying to find the author so they can stop the Chernabog. Honestly, they were kind of lucky they got this big of a break. Oh yeah, six weeks? They have definitely not had six weeks of break. Other than that year that they were cursed. Yeah. So, back outside on the edge of town, the darkness on the edge of town, uh. Rumpel has given his phone to Ursula to call someone inside the city limits. And he's explaining it to her. And she's like, yeah, I know how fucking phone works, man. I just also know that you're filled with traps. You're a tricksy hobbit. And he tell, he reminds them, like, you will, once you pull off the first part of my plan, you'll have all the power. And you'll know that's how you can trust me. Yeah. So she does. She makes the phone call. It's a flip phone. Yeah, well, you know. And the call is to Regina. Who picks up, like, immediately. I never hear my phone when it's ringing unless I'm already doing something else with it. She had a ringer on. I usually have my ringer off. You usually have your ringer off. Mm. So apparently Regina and Ursula cross paths at some point because she's like, what the hell are you doing calling me on Rumpel's phone? She knows Ursula's voice right off the bat. She immediately recognizes that Ursula is the one who's calling her on Rumpel's phone. And that she's brought Cruella with her. Yep. Yep. And Ursula tells her that Rumpel was all sad in a bar, so they stole his phone and found Storybrooke. And now please, can we come in and have our own redemptive story arcs? Yeah, we heard that you were having a redemptive story arc, and we really want to get in on that, so please let us in. Regina and Emma are both so dubious, but they're like, we know how to beat the Chernabog. Yeah. Except do they? Well, they know about the Chernabog. I mean, it seems like the only piece of knowledge that they give to Regina is that it chases the most evil thing in town. Right? Yeah. They're like, oh, I hear a Chernabog. We know how to, we know what it wants, and if you let us into the town, we can tell you, and that will help you beat it. And Emma's like, hey, wait. Uh, well, Regina, Regina says, okay, well, assuming I did believe you, there's no way we can let people into the town. We're not physically able to do that. And And then Emma reminds her that the Snow Queen apparently had a magical scroll that lets you into town, so... 
Yeah. What if I, we just used to scroll over and over again? We saw that. We saw that uh, last season. Yeah. And apparently it's not one of those things that stops working after you do it once. Honestly, it should have been, though. Yeah. That really does seem like the sort of one-shot spell. We cut to a flashback so that Ursula can tell Regina how to beat the Chernabog off-screen so that we don't have to wonder how effective her advice really is because it can't possibly be that effective. She doesn't know that much about it. So in the flashback, Maleficent's using magic missile to hold off the Chernabog while Ursula and Corella crawl up the cliff face out of there. Yeah, and she's like, Bitches, I thought you were going to rescue me! And then Ursula's like, You forgot I have super long tentacles, so I'll just tentacle you to safety, which is... Not what you want to hear ever. Nope. I will tentacle you to safety. And that's what she does. But first she gives the best dying words ever. It's almost a shame she doesn't die. Which is, I hope you choke on my bones. Yeah. And then Ursula tentacles her to safety. And she's, in all fairness, not grateful at all. She's like, ugh, now I'll never get the smell of fish on my dress. And Ursula's like, really? Why does everyone have to nick my powers? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's Aquaman. Yeah. She has legitimately useful powers that she uses all the time. And everyone's like, oh, you're the fish person. Yeah. Anyway, in the mayor mansion, Regina's all like, okay, so the thing's gonna come after me because I'm the most evil thing. Because as far as we know, there's not a dwarf named Evilly. God, that's great. Yes, there is no dwarf named Evilly, although... There is a blue fairy. And snow. And honestly, Regina's probably killed fewer people than David, but... Anyway, I'm just like, wait, hot alternate take. What if we just bring your darkness to the edge of town and then shove it over the edge of town? They should have brought Hook with them. That's what he does, right? Well, he shoots things over the edge of town. Should have brought him and his little one-shot musket. But they're going to bring it uh, because a magical creature couldn't possibly exist in a world without magic except for the dragon that one time, but we're going to ignore that. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to bring, they're going to lure it to the edge of town and then push it over. Meanwhile, we get one of those 10 second Mary Margaret David scenes, which used to exist to uh, just keep them front credited, but now will actually lead to something where the two of them are worried because Corello and Ursula are on the edge of town and they know something bad about David and Mary Margaret. Yep. They really could have not had that scene in because they'll reiterate that at the end of the episode. But... No, no, I think it's better for Flo that they had that in there. Hmm. Anyway, the Chernabog lands on the top of Emma's car as she and Regina are racing to the edge of town. Regina shit-talks Herbie the love bug a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, she's like, why did you choose a yellow car? And Emma's like, I like yellow. Also, the car is stolen, and stealers can't be choosers. Think... That car is still stolen. It has a new VIN number. That makes it magically not <laughs> stolen anymore. Oh my god. Regina's like, I'm not going to have this thing take you out. I'm not going to take you with me. I love you, Emma Swan. Well, she says, thank you, Miss Swan. And then she bamps uh, herself out of the car. Apparently, bamfing stops. Velocity? Yeah. Yeah, because she's able to bamf and then bamf to a standing position. But it doesn't work. The uh, Turner bug's still on the car trying to get at Emma. Yeah, but it's so quick that we weren't that we aren't going to really notice it until Rumpel points it out. But, but Emma manages to pull off a maneuver, which is kind of a variation on the crazy Ivan, where she's speeding super fast, and then instead of pulling a sharp turn, she just stomps on the brake, and the car stopping doesn't stop the velocity of the Hell Demon, and the Hell Demon keeps going and flies right over the town line. Good braking power on that bug, by the way. Definitely. So the Chernobog flies over the town line and turns to dust. I do like the fact that in this scene, Emma and Regina uh, are standing on the edge of town, and Ursula and Cruella are standing a few feet away from them, but they very clearly can't see them. Yeah, since Cruella and Ursula can't see all of the drama that's going on in town, they're just sitting there all like, do-do-do, I wonder if this plan's gonna work. wonder if anyone's gonna show up and let us in. And all of this dramatic stuff is happening out of their vision. It's actually really subtly funny. Yeah. It's, it's like a f good funny background event. Anyway, Snow and David uh, show up in the cop car, because I guess David's still a deputy. Whatever. Nepotism. Corruption. This family. Well, he's co-sheriff. Oh, it's even worse. Anyway, they show up and are all like, don't let them in, they're villains, and villains are inherently evil, and also you shouldn't believe anything they say about us. And Regina's all like, um, in case you forgot, I'm a villain. And Snow's like, but we don't think of you as a villain. 
Well, Snow specifically brings up as an example. She's like, some villains can't be trusted. Look at Mr. Gold. Look at Zelina. Which is not the first place I would have gone if I was talking about villains that couldn't be redeemed. I mean, I actually probably would have gone with Korra first, but I could see how that would be awkward in this situation. I was going more for the weird racial element this has to it now. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Regina's not having it. She throws the scroll across the town line so that Cruella and Ursula can get in. Well, the important thing here is that Emma says, no, look at Regina. I think everyone deserves their redemption arc. Emma is not on David and Mary Margaret's side. So they toss the scroll over the town line and Cruella and Ursula pull in in the car. And Cruella's like... And then they just keep driving. Like... You're not going to stop and say hi to Regina, who you apparently know, who just let you into town? Well, they do. Cruella, like, waves at her from the car and she says... Because they keep driving! Well, she says, she says, thank you for letting us in. You're not going to regret this. And Regina says, I better not. I mean, maybe it's my waspy upbringing, but they definitely should have stopped and had a little bit of a conversation. What would they have said to each other? It's been so long. You look well. It's so good to see you. They do look well. Regina should have questions about that. But what Regina does say is welcome to Storybrooke. Yes, I forgot. Regina name drops our podcast. So Cruella drives off, leaving the Charmings and Regina and Emma on the edge of town. And then we cut to that evening where Rumple is standing on the edge of town wondering if the ladies are going to return and let him in. And I just have to say here, I mean, they do. They do return. They do let him in. But their plan right now is... Find the author and make him give us our happy endings. At this point, they could have gone to Regina and said, Rumple told us about the town. He told us about the author. We want to find him and make him give us happy endings. And Regina would have been like, that's my plan too. Welcome to Operation Mongoose. And this whole season could have been done in like two episodes. Well, Ingrid always had the option to not flip out and keep murdering people, so... If people acted in their best interests, there would just be no show. Alright, fair enough. But yes, Cruella and Ursula return uh, to let Rumple back in. And Rumple explains that the plan is they're going to keep acting like they're good and trying to earn their redemption, and he's going to hide out and pull strings from the background. And they're like, um, it still sounds like we're doing all the heavy lifting, which is when he reveals his secret second identity as an Oxford professor, and is all like, hey... If I did that outside the town, imagine all of the chaos that I can cause now that I'm here. Yeah, apparently this he put a little Chernabog rider in the uh, ferry releasing information he was feeding Bell. Sure. Because he's like, yeah, no, the Chernabog was me. And they talk about how they still have to contend with Regina, who is a greater force of evil than Rumpel? Because the Chernabog went after her. No, he was on the other side of the timeline. Yeah, but they're they're like, we have to contend with Regina, and her darkness is so bad, blah, 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 the Chernabog went after her. And then Rumpel drops, the Chernabog wasn't going after Regina. It was going after Emma Swan. <gasps> this will actually pay off in a really awesome way at the end of this season. Well, I mean, it doesn't live up to its potential. It doesn't, but... We do get some really cool stuff with the story arc. Yes. Anyway, now onto the other darkness on the edge of town. David and Mary Margaret pull up to the edge of town. It's the middle of the night. We get a brief scene of Emma wondering where the two of them went off to. Uh, she's at Granny's with Hook. And where they went is to the edge of town to threaten Cruella and Ursula. To basically say that if they are still evil, and if they tell anyone about the evil shit that went down back in the day, then they'll come back and murder them. Our heroes, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Our heroes. Snow says, if you tell anyone in the town what you know about us, you won't have to worry about Regina. I'll rip your heart out myself. I, like, here's the thing. This if, is a total retcon. Well, no. I mean, yeah, it is. But, no. If this show is setting up, oh, Snow and David are also morally ambiguous, good on the show. But that kind of gets hand-waved. They really face no consequences for the things we're about to discover. Hey, Emma's mad at them for, like, an episode and a half. Ugh. I'm sorry, I meant 
half an episode. Well, I mean that's that that works. That's that works out, right? Right? Baby death pit. Half a day of being mad at someone. Yeah. They did that thing that the Frozen season didn't do, but that Once Upon a Time tends to abuse, where they have characters talking around their plans and backstories and other information that they should not be talking around just to keep it from the audience. That was a really, really big problem in Lost. So it makes sense that it would have infected Once Upon a Time. And we saw what was the worst of it in season... uh, in the beginning of season three with the Peter Pan stuff. It is the worst with Peter Pan, absolutely. And we're going to get a whole bunch of that with this. Spoiler alert, the thing that they're trying to hide is the baby death pit. I think we've already said that a few times. All right, so that is that is the darkness on the edge of town. All right, so we'll start with Fashion Corner. I noticed Emma, when she had to pick out the leather jacket she was going to wear today, amongst all of her leather jackets, she picked a brown bomber jacket with a fur collar i quite liked i felt like that was sort of a reference to grandma's sheriff i did too i thought it looked very much like a graham jacket Hmm. and since i think we've passed the last time we'll hear his name it was nice yeah yeah i'm i'm honestly pretty sure that we passed the last graham mention i think so Hmm. i mean we keep being surprised by how often they do mention him so maybe not but I actually really like corolla's uh last fur coat where it's black except it's got like white sleeves I mean, I don't. I, I I get the idea that it's Cruella in the real world, but as long as she's literally walking around being named Cruella and driving a car with the license plate DeVille, she may as well just have a full white fur coat. Mm. And, okay, I haven't mentioned this before, and I but I just love the look of Cruella with this, I mean, it's, the, it's Cruella's classic look, right? But the slinky black dress with the white co- with the white fur coat that's lined in red is the Cruella look. But what I love about it is the way that the coat is always kind of falling off her shoulders. Yeah. Because it's so opulent that it no longer even serves its purpose. And the dress she's wearing underneath could not possibly be warm enough. So the dress so the coat for me is like such a perfect symbol of conspicuous consumption because it doesn't keep her warm and clearly she either doesn't need to be warm or has chosen to not be warm based on what she's wearing underneath it yeah well and of course let's talk about Belle's high heels oh her maroon high heels i'm just saying there's a lot of lacy in our Belle. So, direct references to Disney movies. We get a lot of Cruella here. When Cruella reveals the car to to Rumple and Ursula before they take off from the house that's being repossessed by the FBI, she shoots around the corner in the very careless way that Cruella drives in the movies. And the books. And, of course, we get a lot of Fantasia with the... We literally get to see Bald Mountain and we see Chernabog, although he's not actually... He's like the big bad of Bald Mountain. He's the big bad of the original Fantasia. I do not remember this Fantasia segment at all. I mostly just remember him doing... I, I remember the discussion around it a lot more than the segment itself. Isn't that segment done to the tune of In the Hall of the Mountain King? Yes, I think so. Oh. Honestly, that song creeps me out so much. Honestly, the only part of Fantasia I super actually remember is, you know, the iconic Mickey Mouse Sorcerer's Apprentice stuff. Mm-hmm. I really don't remember the rest of it that well. I don't think it was one of the... I used to have the, uh, you know, the old Disney VHSs. Of course, in those clam box cases that don't fit into any VHS storage shelf. Remember when the Disney VHSs were only released on, like, a schedule and they weren't all available all the time? Oh, I remember. That's why I didn't see uh, Sleeping Beauty until I was an adult. That's so weird. In a world of on-demand media like we have now, it's so weird to think that was a thing. Like, I kind of want to watch 101 Dalmatians tonight, and we absolutely can. Like, there's nothing that will stop us from watching 101 Dalmatians tonight, except possibly watching Friends. I'm actually super excited by the idea of watching 101 Dalmatians again. Speaking of, the green smoke that Cruella breathes is directly taken from the Disney movie. Yeah. So, I think that's about it that does do us for this week uh this show is partially patron supported if you would like to be one of those patrons you can join our patreon you can find the link at our website i love televisionzines.com you can also find previous episodes of this show there 
We'd like to thank our $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. Now, uh, if you'd like to support the show another way, uh, you can help us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, you can head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. If you have a question or comment, send us an email at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. So that'll about do us for this week. Until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. I was hitchhiking down a long and lonesome road. All of a sudden, there shined a shiny demon in the middle of the road. And he said, play the best song in the world. Or I'll eat yourself. Well, me and Kyle.